Well, this morning we're continuing, uh, nearing the end of our series called Dear Church, and it's been a study through the book of 1 Corinthians. We are in chapter 14, so we're getting near the end of this. And, you know, today is one of those uh, passages or chapters in Scripture that is kind of a deeper theological, there's some intricacies that we'll be teaching through today, and if it's new to you, maybe by the end of this you say like, okay, I feel out of place, I'm not in the, this is all new to me. But sometimes you get into these passages uh, where there's just some things that you read and go like, okay, does that relate to us? Does it not? And a big question you may ask, uh, I like to ask when I get to a chapter like this, is a question that I used to ask all the time in junior high at social studies class was, why does this matter? (laughs) It's a question that, you know, it's like, why are you teaching us? Why do I have to remember these things? And, and so sometimes we get to passages in Scripture that maybe you say like, okay, um, sure, maybe this matters or not. But we want to ask the question, why, is, why did Paul write this? What is he trying to communicate? What is it for the sake of the church that we need to know? Now, to understand, to answer a little bit of that, we have to remind ourselves of why he wrote this letter in the first place. As he wrote it to a group of Christians in, the church, in a town of Corinth, explaining to them how it looks to have Christ in us, to live among Uh, a world that maybe does not believe, but what does that look like? So there's these instructions and encouragement and some corrections all throughout this book. But I really like at the very beginning, I think that that helps us understand this. When he started off this whole study, in fact, week one, we looked at the idea that Paul said this message of the cross or the good news of Jesus seems absurd to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And the whole book, the whole letter starts off and reminds us that the message of Jesus is the very power to transform and change our lives. This message of Jesus is a thing that takes those who were formerly enemies of the cross, people at odds with God, and says, even you can be welcomed into the family that the arms of Jesus extend wide enough to reach and grab any of us and welcome us in. And that is what this book is about. It's about a community of people who were living lives who didn't experience, who didn't yet know the power of Jesus in their lives and how that's so transformative and can change them. And so Paul's writing this letter to this group of people who are starting to get it, but who are questioning like, ah, I, I live in a world where they don't all agree, they don't all believe what we believe, but he's reminding them, no, the message of Jesus has the power to change you, has the power to change those around you. And then the flow of thought from there continues, and it's all about this freedom that comes in Christ, but that freedom is motivated by our love for one another. another. A love that's willing to submit to one another, to be humble with one another, to give up our own needs for the sake of the kingdom of God. As more and more we understand Christ in us, that sets us free, actually even from the law, and gives us the freedom to be who we are in him. And so that's the flow of thought that we've seen throughout. Last week was kind of the center of this last section in Scripture, and it was chapter 13, which is often called the love chapter. It was all about what it looks like, this love that Christ had modeled for us, and that how now that is the model that motivates and changes and transforms us to love one another. And the goal of all of that is love. 
for the community. So that's kind of the background that we have that goes into today. And so as we get into today's uh, passage, we're going to talk about some things that are, we'll call them the supernatural spiritual gifts, or gifts that maybe some of you look at and you say, I don't quite understand these. But Paul is talking about these in the context of this greater book. So we want to place it in that. And it's about this being a community that loves one another and that is uh, still demonstrating this power of Jesus to change and transform lives inside and outside the church. And that's the context that we have. Uh, Before we get into it, let's pray and just ask that God leads us here in this place. Lord God, we thank you so much again for your word. I thank you for the reminders of your truth. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at this text, that you'd open our eyes, you'd open our hearts, you'd help us understand. And Lord, at the center of it all, help us be a community that's modeled or that demonstrates the love that you modeled to us. Lord, let us be a community that's willing to give up of our own rights for the sake of one another. That, Lord, we're willing to give up for the sake of those who don't yet know you. That, Lord, that more and more can be changed and brought in because of who you are. God, we believe that the message of the cross, the message of Jesus, and your love for us is the thing that has the power to transform and change lives. So we ask that we'd be aware of that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to invite you to look at uh, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. And as we look through this, Paul is going to talk specifically about two different things that maybe seem very out of place to, to you, depending on your background, depending on how long you've been around the church, maybe some things that you understand, you've heard of, maybe some things you've never heard of before. And, and he's going to use these two uh, ideas of what we'll call spiritual gifts as an example of how, what, how to let this play out in the lives of this church in Corinth. And before we get into it, I'm going to just, let me give you some definitions. So he's going to talk about two things. One is prophecy, and the other one is a thing called speaking in tongues. Now, if you're new to the church, if it's your first day, or you haven't been a Christian a long time, if you haven't read through the New Testament, you have no background, you might hear that and say, I have no idea even what you just said. Uh, some of you, maybe you have an extensive experience with this, and you understand, and there's all kinds of different ideas, but, so I just want to give you a couple ideas. He first of all talks about prophecy, and so prophecy Uh, Here's the definition of it, and and the first definition is this. It's proclaiming truth on behalf of God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I got to apologize, we had a little technical difficulty, so there's, uh, the slide's not up there for you, but prophecy, so when we're talking about it today, this is not predicting the future. This is not saying, oh, this is what's going to happen. Now, some of the prophets, sometimes throughout Scripture, would make a statement that was end up prophetic in the sense of something that is to come. It was revealing the message of the, the messianic prophecies or the, God's plan. But it was proclaiming truth on behalf of God through the inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit. In Micah chapter 3, Micah is a prophet in the Old Testament. Chapter 3, verse 8, he's speaking against false prophets who were just coming up with things on their own. And he says, on the other hand, I'm filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and courage to make known to Israel this rebellious act. So we find that that throughout Scripture, the idea of prophecy was truth revealed by God, but through the inspiration of the Spirit. And there was these tests that you could do to say, the test essentially would be, is this truth coming from this prophet? In fact, in the Old Testament, it was if there was a prophet who proclaimed something that wouldn't come true, they were subject to punishment under death. So can you imagine that? 
that would limit who says they want to sign up for that job. <laughs> but Paul talks about it now in a New Testament um, situation here and say there's this gift called prophecy. It's proclaiming truth. So it's not always something uh, predicting the future, but it's speaking truth on behalf of God. The other one we're going to look at today is uh, speaking in tongues or different languages, depending on your translation. Now, this is uh, communicating in a language unknown to the speaker or to the one who's hearing. And so we find, for example, in Acts chapter 2, that we have the disciples uh, were gathering in Jerusalem, and there's this uh, event uh, on the Jewish calendar called the Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit empowered them miraculously on this day, and they began proclaiming the message of Jesus in different languages. In fact, it says this in Acts chapter 2. It said, There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And they heard this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were confused because each one of them was hearing the disciples speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language in which we were born? So when we hear this idea of tongues mentioned or speaking in different languages throughout the New Testament, it was this supernatural gifting by God, by the Holy Spirit, that allowed the speakers to speak in a language that they didn't learn, or the listeners heard it, and, and they were able to understand it. Now, there's a few questions that come up with this, right? Do these gifts still exist today? And there are different levels of, of thought and belief of this. Some people are this is a theological term, so just throw it out there, but it's cessationalists. They believe that these gifts have stopped, that God no longer uses them. He no longer empowers that it was only for the early church. Uh, there's some, maybe on the other side of that, who would say, if you haven't been able to, if the Holy Spirit's never really empowered you to speak in tongues or to experience this supernatural gifting of spirit, that without that, maybe that's a sign of your salvation. So that's, some would say, that that is the way God reveals or shows that his spirit has empowered you. So there's those different sides of belief. Now, I typically am someone who's kind of moderate and, and believe that, you know what, if I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, I'd never want to limit what he can do and how he does it. And there you can... And the reason why is we can argue both of these. There's great intelligent thinkers on both sides of this thought who have looked through this for years and years and years. But I always want to say, if God is supernatural, if he created the world, if he is all-powerful, then I'm not going to tell him what he can and cannot do. I believe that he's able to do things. Now, uh, with that said, I also want to say that I, I don't believe that I have to experience these supernatural giftings as evidence of the Spirit in me. Otherwise, I'll have to tell you, I'm not yet saved. And I don't believe that to be true. And so I don't want to put that condition on salvation. Now, being, because what we can do is elevate certain gifts over the other. I believe that I am gifted by the Holy Spirit, but not in those ways. I believe that you're gifted by the Holy Spirit, but maybe in those ways, maybe not in those ways. God has intentions of why he does things, and these are not the only signs of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. There are many signs. There's many things, and he's going to reveal himself in a lot of ways. And so when we look at this, uh, I, you know, there's a lot of things that we want to think of. Now, let me say this. When it relates to prophecy, there are no more, one of the reasons people don't believe that's still a gift is that 
There are new, no new revelations since Scripture. We use Scripture as our revelation of God to us. And when I say that, I don't mean that God can never put an impression on our hearts. He can never lead us in ways. He can never give you wisdom that comes from somewhere else. I'm just saying if all of a sudden you have a new revelation about who Jesus is and it contradicts what we know in Scripture, that's probably not true. So that's what I mean. There's no new Scripture being revealed to us. And that's why some people say this gift no longer exists. I think there's a way that it exists, but it's just different than that. It's not revealing Scripture anymore. But it could be that God's leading us and speaking to us in different ways. And certainly being able to reveal truth and proclaim it to others um, is something that is valuable in the church to this day. So I love when I talk about these topics when there's people on both sides, how quiet it gets in here. It's just, love these Sundays. Okay, so... (laughs) So let's look at the text and see, uh, oh, first of all, before, one more thing before we get into it. The goal of the gifts that God gives us are these. In the, new, in the early church that we see it revealed, I believe he still goes, the goal is this. That God empowers us, one, to build up the church, to encourage one another. He empowers us to experience his presence and encourage you as your own individual walk and to reach others for Christ. That's the gifts of the Spirit and intended for God's purposes to build up and to make his name known. We always want to keep that. It shouldn't be about us making our names known. It's about Christ. So that's kind of what we're going off to start with. So let's look at the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. There's a lot of verses. uh, So I'm going to skip through some of these passages, but we'll read the first few. So Paul starts off and he says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. And especially that you may prophesy. So he's saying, starting off, like he just finished this whole chapter on love. And he says, pursue love. That needs to be the central motivating characteristic of your community of Christians. But don't think, it's okay. Desire spiritual gifts. And this is actually, this terminology here is desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be empowered by the Spirit of God. And especially that you may prophesy. He's saying, and so he's going to define that here in a moment. Why that's so valuable. And he says, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. And no one understands, but in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. Let me use a different translation to help those. One who speaks in prophecy speaks to build up or to build up the church, to encourage the church and to comfort the church. That's a better way to understand those words. One who speaks in a tongue speaks to edify himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive this edification. Now you say, wait, did he just say that it's better to be a prophet than speaking in tongues? Or or one person is greater than the other? Because in chapter 12, he said no one's greater than the other. But he's really developing an argument here that says, one, in the context of your church, one gift is more useful for building up the church than the other. And we're going to kind of define that in a little bit. But the first thought here, as we look at this first section, is we want to be who the Holy Spirit empowers us to be, to live the gifting that God gives. That's why he starts off and say, pursue love, but earnestly desire to be filled with the Spirit, to be empowered by the Spirit, to say, God, who have you made me to be? 
If you made me to be a teacher, help me be a teacher by your power. Lord, if you've made me to be someone who's compassionate and working in acts of mercy, empower me to do that in a way that honors you. Lord, let this not be about my power, but your power. And, and there's sometimes in the church when we, we just like to do things in our own power, do we not? It's just we can control it so much more. We can explain it so much more. And I'm not talking about even like this radical kind of gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about we just like to, we're, we're Americans. We want to order, order things, do we not? We want to have a strategy. God, here's how you're going to work this week, and I'm gonna sh- I'll tell you when you can c- show up. But Paul's saying, no, we want to earnestly, we want to be motivated by love, but we want the Spirit of God to be what's defining us, who's who's leading us. Christ in us. That's what we want, not us in us. And so he says this, be who the, the Spirit is empowering you to be. That's the first thought we have in that section. Now the next thought we have is um, verses 6 through 12. Again, I'm not going to read Uh, This section I'm not going to read all the way through, but he starts off and he says, Now, brothers, if I come to speak to you in tongues, what does it profit you unless I speak to you by a way of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And then he goes on to say, you know, if you're using an instrument, but you don't understand the the tones, you just hear a bunch of tones, you don't understand it, it's not really valuable. So it's better that there's something that we can hear and understand. Paul in verse 10 says there's a lot of languages in the world and no kind is without meaning. If then I don't know the meaning of the language, when I'm speaking in in the church, to you it might sound like a barbarian, which is a Greek way of saying someone who doesn't speak intelligible language. Verse 12, he says, So also, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. So Paul is saying, whether you speak in tongues or you prophesy, you teach, whatever it is, Seek that you build the church. And we're going to talk, he's going to start giving examples and, and kind of guidelines for this in a moment. Saying the goals that you build the church. And if, you're, if I'm up here speaking a language you don't understand, that's not building up the church. But when we're proclaiming truth that we understand, that starts to encourage us and build us up. Let me give you some examples. Uh, so the goal is that we're, kind of joining in with what God wants to do through the church. I'm going to localize this to Seacoast so we can understand. Paul's writing to a a local church in Corinth. I believe this means for the universal church, but also locally. So one of the things here for us is we want to be a home. One of our vision statements is to be a home for the lost and wandering. And a value that goes with that is we want to be people of radical hospitality. Some of you have a unique gift of hospitality. You have a way of making people feel so welcome, so at home, so at ease being who they are. It's just a unique gifting of you. Now, some of that is because of your upbringing, which, by the way, God has all made us all unique. And so some of our upbringing, some of our education, some of our passions all play into this. I believe God uses all that to kind of use us in the church. But some of you, so gift to hospitality. For whatever reason, you're really good at that. I believe for the building of the church, God is inviting you to allow him, use that gift in your life to help us be a home for the lost and wandering, to help welcome in those who are uncomfortable. If there are people here who've never been to a church before and they showed up this morning, they might be a little uncomfortable. We need some people with the gift of hospitality to welcome them in, to walk with them. That's building up the church. Some of you have a gift of teaching. You're really great teachers. 
We have people who, who teach or are great at teaching adults. We have people who are great at teaching and they're very patient as well. If that's your gift, what if you submitted that to the Spirit of God and say, Lord, let me quit putting parameters on you. How do you want me to use this gifting? We have a bunch of kids and junior highers and high schoolers who love people who have the gift of teaching combined with patience and fun. <laughs> if you're not patient and fun, teach someone else. But... <laughs> Some of you have that gift. What if you allowed and said, God, I want you to use that however you want to use it. The whole reason I even got into working in a church was not my intention. I started off, I've shared the story before, but I was an 18-year-old teaching the boys' Sunday school. I was a brand new Christian, so they were, I, I was teaching them stories that I have never heard before. Like, wow, that's amazing. But I loved hanging out. I was uh, in college, I was an education major, so I wanted to teach. I always loved to work with young people, and it just happened to stick in the church. But that was something that for me was natural. It was easy. It was something that all of a sudden I started seeing the Spirit of God use that in my life with others. What is it for you? I even think of how it plays out sometimes of, of our goal as a church. We want to reach the lost. Um, as you know, I play basketball a few times a week. Some of you in here play, uh, have joined in that, that lunch crew, which is a lot of fun. Uh, it's technically, it's a league, but really it's pickup games all the time. So let me explain something about when the guys play basketball together. We play uh, two games in a row, then you have to sit. So no matter what, if you win or lose, you have to sit after the second game. So the score doesn't actually matter. Tell that to guys, that the score does not matter. It, the score matters. It totally matters if I win or lose these games. So you should see how competitive these games are. And I just look around like, guys, look at all the knee braces, the ankle braces. Like, come on, the score shouldn't matter. Look at us. But we're, we're, I'm just like them, super intense. We want to win every game. Uh, but I also think God, through my background, through everything, has uniquely gifted me to be a little more laid back. And it, in, in a way that... I truly, it just does not matter at the end. Even last week, it was the last second, uh, we have a clock running, and I had the last shot, the game was tied. I went up for a shot, completely got fouled, um, missed the, the three-pointer, and everyone's arguing, like, no, that's a foul, you gotta let them, and I'm just thinking, who cares, guys, the game's over. It doesn't matter, they're like, you have to shoot one three-pointer and decide who wins this game. I'm like, it doesn't matter, but, so I shot it, and I don't, I'm not gonna tell you who, well, I'll tell you, I made it. And, <laughs> So we won. <laughs> but one of the things that I think through that is, is God has just given me just some personality things that it's been funny after four or five or six years playing with these guys. That's opened up the door for them to say like, okay, what is it that makes you different? Why is it that you're able to let things go? And that's just saying, you know, I look at them and just, it's, yeah, this, and I can say to them now, you know, the spirit of God's changing me. But it's a unique gift that maybe is part of who I am, of compassion, and then it's played out when it's submitted to the Holy Spirit. What is that for you? Does it build the church? Does it reach non-Christians? The other one is that compassion gift, why we love our city, why we want to be involved in tutoring uh, the low-income kids and the English language learners in our community, because we really believe that God has placed us here for a reason. And some of you have this gift of compassion, maybe teaching. We send a ton of volunteers from Seacoast to help with our food bank in, in downtown Encinitas. People with the gifting to love others and to love those less fortunate. 
to be able to interact with the homeless and not out of judgment, but out of love and truly do that. Seacoast is known down at CRC and very much appreciated. That's people using that gifting. So Paul's here in this section saying, use your gifts to build the church. And in this case, many of them, this gift of being able to proclaim a truth from God was intended to build the church. So he said, use those. Let that be the motivation. He gets into the next section, verses 13 through 25. This is a little bit longer. And in here, I'm going to kind of just look at two verses here because this one now, he's talking a little bit more specifically about speaking in tongues. And, and because I know some of you in here are from a background where this has been a part of your spiritual life. And, and I just want to acknowledge a couple things here in 13 and 14. It says, hey, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And then he goes on and talks about the difference between your spirit praying and connecting with God and then your mind connecting with God. And I believe here, he's really talking about there's this cult- cultivating your public and your private spiritual life. And I'm not saying that you all, if if you feel like there's times you've been praying and God somehow has gifted you with with tongues, which for me, I've never had that personally. But some of you, I know you you have that experience and that cultivates your spiritual life with God. I would always use that with wisdom. But here Paul's saying there's a spiritual, there's a private life with God in your prayers, but if it's not benefiting publicly... There's a different way in your public. Cultivate your public worship, which benefits the whole church, but don't neglect your personal private life. So that's going to, for most of us, has nothing to do with speaking in tongues. For most of you, it's how many of you spend time cultivating your private spiritual life? How many of you spend time praying to God? Asking God to reveal himself to you, to lead you. How many of you spend time studying scripture, memorizing it, getting to know our Lord? I think Paul here is really saying, hey, we want to not, we want to engage our minds, we want to engage our spirits. And this is not just something that happens when we get together. For you, how are you cultivating your own private life with Christ? How are you cultivating your public worship? When we get together and we sing and we sing praises, are you there watching? Are you, how is your pu- public worship? Are you cultivating a, an atmosphere you're just thinking, oh, how much longer? Or you engage and say, God, speak to me in this place. What is our posture when we are approaching our God? Do we think that, oh, we have him dialed down. We have him in a box. Are we approaching him every day saying, wait, the king of the universe is accessible to us? Why are we not pursuing him privately, publicly? Why are we not coming with expectation? Why are we not asking that God would show up in our lives? I think through this, we see, even though these are specific instructions to a church, he's saying, hey, there's God's at work in many ways. Are we aware? Are we looking for it? Are we pursuing it? Even if this, these particular gifts no longer exist, there's many ways that God reveals himself. So are we open to those? Or is this just a routine in our lives? I know for me this week, I was convicted as I looked through that And I was reading through it and saying, Lord, what does it really mean to say my spirit is praying? That I'm really aware of you. What does that mean? Because often when I pray, it's just, Lord, here's a few things on my list. Um, 
These are the ones that I think you should prioritize. They're perfect. (laughs) How often do I say, God, in my spirit, just what are you leading me? What do you want? What are you revealing? And I find myself all of a sudden praying for people. I'm like, well, Lord, you can't reach that person. Why am I praying for that person? (laughs) Why is that person on my mind? Why are you asking me to pray for that? Cultivate that private and public worship life. So he goes on now in verse 26. As I said, we are kind of skipping through this pretty quickly. But he gives some more instruction. He says, what's the outcome then, brothers and sisters? When you assemble together, some of you has, each one of you has a psalm, you have a teaching, you have a revelation. Some has a tongue and an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification or for the building up of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or three at the most, and each in turn must interpret. But if there's no interpreter, <coughs> excuse me, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to one another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you all prophesy one by one, so that you may all learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to other prophets. In other words, we'll test what you're saying. For God's not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches and all the saints. Now you hear that and you think, how does that play out in our life today? Because what Paul does is he gets very specific at the end of this and says, here's some instructions that will help you live out your gifts among each other. And this was unique for Corinth, but we can translate it to us today. And essentially what he's saying is all these gifts are done, and, and notice the posture of them, with humility towards one another. With this willingness to say, you know what, if I'm, if I'm wrong, I, I, I'm not going to speak out if this isn't of the Lord. And all of whatever I'm going to do is for the good of the person sitting next to me, not just for myself. And notice this, this posture of the church is one of humility. And he says, humbly live with one another for God's purposes. And that's the theme of this whole book. And in the end, he says, God's not a God of confusion, but of peace. So the goal is that we're building one another up. We're not confusing one another. Now, Translate it to modern Encinitas in 2020 at Seacoast. A lot of these, this isn't how we do our worship service. We don't have someone stand up and, and share something from the Lord and have someone up. There's churches who do that. That's not our norm. Our norm is that we have a teaching team who prepares this stuff. We have worship team who prepares. We have uh, uh, leadership teams in the church who are praying and, and involved in ministry. That's our order of worship. And we do that because the goal is to build up the church. But we want to do that with humble, humility as we look at one another. We want to do it in a way that you can be encouraged. And that puts God on display. So as we kind of get to the end of this, there's a lot of questions, I know. But the goal here is, what is our posture when we approach this? What are we motivated by? Are we motivated by love for one another? We motivated by a big belief in who God is. We motivated to see his church grow and thrive. We motivated to see those in our community know Jesus and develop in him. That's what we want to be as a church. And a lot of these other things work themselves out. I've probably offended some of you on both sides today, so that's always a good sermon when I can do that. 
or at least maybe I piqued some of your interest and you want to study it more and look more, which that is actually the real goal because we want to know our God. And I want to promise you that he is so much bigger than we often think of him as. And he has so much a bigger heart for you and for me and for his church and for this city than we could ever imagine. And his heart is that we know him and see him on display. As a worship team makes their way up and we end, I just want to take a moment and maybe allow you to settle your hearts. And as the team sets up, let's just close our eyes and take a moment to pray. And as you pray, I, maybe for some of us, it's a prayer of confession this morning. A confession that we're good at boxing God in. But we want to see him, believe in him as the creator of our universe. Maybe for some of you, it's a prayer of confession, of judgment of one another. Maybe for some of you, you need to pray and just say, God, help me to live out my gifting. Help me to give up of myself. Lead me to what you have for me and my involvement in this church and in your big church. Maybe this morning you just need to say, Lord, I need to encounter you. But let's pray for a moment and then I'm going to invite you to join in and sing this last song. And let this be our response to God.